thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. With me, as always, my co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. And I'm your other co-host, Cam. It's Popcorn for Breakfast. It is, uh, date of recording is Monday, February 20th. And this is typically when we would do our What's Poppin' movie and TV news. But we are going to take this opportunity to flip the script a little bit and do something that I think we're going to start doing a little bit more of Kirk. You you know, we've been talking about this and I I kind of feel like it's the right path, which is political um, science. We're going to be discussing the Democrats, the Republicans, the libertarians. This is where we're going from here on out. Yeah. No, not that conversation, Kirk. The other one, the other one, uh, about how that's the off air one in the, (laughs) that's the family debate. Okay. Gotcha. That's right. That's right. No, that would be so bad. I uh, it would just would not be good. Polit- politics, just I don't I don't like it. It doesn't mix well. It's not good. <laughs> Nothing good coming from that. But with these bigger comic book related releases that require, um, I mean, these days, tons of additional deep diving and and picking apart and analyzing. Uh, I think it makes sense to do it how we're doing it now, which is do a, a initial review of the movie and then do a deep dive for people who have seen the movie. So our review of this past weekend's or yeah, was it just this last weekend? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like oh three days ago. Maybe, Cam. Oh, that feels like an eternity ago, but it was technically three days ago because we saw it Thursday night. We, oh, and we left the theater at midnight. We recorded at about 1231. Yeah. Wow, I just spooked myself with that. I was like, wait, was it this was it this <laughs> weekend? But yes, this weekend's big release, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. So we did a review of that last, we recorded it last Thursday. It dropped on Friday, spoiler-free, all of our thoughts. So go back and listen to that if you want to hear our spoiler-free review, complete with scores. And then in this episode, we are going to kind of deep dive into some of the stuff we didn't get to talk about in the spoiler-free version. So this is the spoiler portion of that. It's not going to be a re-review of the movie or anything. We're just going to get into the deets and kind of talk about what we think is relevant, important, um, either to the film or going forward in the MCU. If I may. If I may. Last Friday's episode that the listeners heard was... A little bit of a like a like a nose picking, right? But like just a graze of the bottom that's kind of annoying mm-hmm. that you don't want to be visible. And this one is where you you are alone in your house and you are just digging deep Ugh. and you're just getting getting in there and making sure everything trigger is warning. out. Trigger in warning: the open. if you're if you're one of these booger people, just triggers triggers all over the place. Just both nostrils clear for passage Disgusting. so that you can breathe again because all of the themes and the the things that you liked and didn't like are all up there crammed in your nose. Oh, you just got to expel that's them. That's so, terrific. Yeah. You know, I feel like it was a good metaphor for sure. It, there are certainly other areas you could have gone with that, but the one you chose wasn't wrong. Uh, right. So we'll, we'll accept it. But Kirk is unfortunately correct uh, with his disgusting analogy, which is that <laughs> – we this one will be where we get to the nitty gritty of of this film and talk about a few things. So, Kirk, I want to open up the floor on this. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you were were itching to talk about uh, in the spoiler free review that we couldn't that you feel like is relevant to your opinion of the film? This could be something that you liked, something that 
took points away, whatever could be the way the movie ended could be a, a plot point that was too spoilery for us to chat about. Like anything that was really getting at you. Oh, that's tricky. That's tricky because now I have all this power and yet with the power, I don't know that I could do, do all of it. I would say, I would say that I want to talk about the quantum people. Oh Let's yeah. Talk about the quantum people. Yeah, Let's yeah. start there. Okay. First of all, one of the worst lines in cinematic history um, that Cassie gets to say, are these quantum people? <laughs> It's yeah, she says she says there are she says there are quantum people in the quantum realm. Oh. I mean, was it oh. supposed to be funny because it did not come across well, that way? Good question. I don't know. It's followed by a hard cut, like mm-hmm. the hardest of hard cuts. So, mm-hmm. if it was supposed to be funny, we didn't really like get a chance to live in that. Um, yeah, bizarre. Bizarre. Yeah. So we get introduced to these quantum people, which we see none of them in the trailer. They don't exist in the trailer. It's a whole l- giant piece of the puzzle of that these quantum people have been um, oppressed by Kang and his mission to take over this realm because it's all that he has. So he's going to absolutely terrorize them. He has more power. He's going to manipulate them. He's going to take away their resources. So they have to work for him. Um, so I think that what, what really... What we, what we didn't get to see what we and we were finally revealed these quantum people they were kind of a miss for me overall they we had these there's a broccoli a character that just has a broccoli head and what was supposed to be uh, kind of like oh my gosh an incredible joke even though Michael Douglas did his hardest it didn't land and the broccoli head was just kind of weird um, there were several characters derivative of Star Wars just your your world building they just kind of looked like things that maybe we've seen before which isn't a bad thing but they they put so much emphasis on this group of people yeah that it honestly would have been better if they were all just normal looking people yeah Peyton Reed even like directed it like a Star Wars like arriving in Coruscant type of scene whenever they they go to that like bar where they end up meeting Lord Krylar um that was like giving major Star Wars vibes, but just like totally um, derivative of that. Like it didn't feel like it just felt like cheap copycat work. And like, I, I agree with your point. Like all those people felt really uninspired artistically, like ideas that were thrown together quickly designed quickly and whose design didn't really have any sort of real meaning other than like, let's make it weird. Um, which I guess is what you're going for with the quantum realm. But like, yeah, the, these guys weren't part of the, the trailer materials. There was the one guy with like the Pixar lamp head. as I like to refer to him. The guy they, shot fire they, out of it. They show that guy in the trailer one time, just like coming over a hill. It's like the first guy that we see, but it's like, you don't get the sense from any of the promotional materials that they're a huge part of the movie. And then they kind of are. And I don't feel at least for me as a viewer, I wasn't particularly comfortable or happy with that decision because you could almost tell this entire story without them. And because of them, you have to go down all these different rabbit holes of like applying a backstory um, to like the, the Katie O'Brien character who was like basically supposed to be 
that chick from Fast and Furious. <laughs> What's <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez? Michelle Rodriguez. <laughs> her name always escapes me, but like just like straight up was supposed to be her. Um, and so then you're like creating backstory for all these characters, uh, and it ended up making it a little overstuffed. Like I also thought the 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 Bill Murray, Lord Krylar character. What the heck was the point of that? Nothing. What was even the point of that? It, it it was just bizarre. And then he was gone. He was. If, I mean, hanging. like in a flash. Yeah. So just all these like really inconsequential characters that I thought were, were weird. One thing I want to bring, bring up that we didn't get to talk about for obvious reasons is MODOK. Um, I think the trailers did show MODOK, but they don't show MODOK, which the big reveal that occurs is that MODOK is uh, Corey Stoll's character from Ant-Man 1. Darren, who is Yellow Jacket in the first Ant-Man movie, ha- after he was like, like quantum morphed down um, to a molecular, a molecular size or a subatomic size. He then wound up in the quantum realm, linked up with Kang to become one of his minions. And Kang basically redesigned him a la Darth Vader into like MODOK. And what's so funny about this, you know, MODOK is a preposterous, he's, he's a very comic booky character maybe yes. maybe one of the most comic booky characters that exists in the marvel universe and so it's it's bittersweet for me because on the one hand modok is a great villain and a really fun villain and it's like the for him to kind of have been started and ended in this movie the way that it was kind of sucks it feels similar to like taskmaster even though i know that tax taskmaster is like coming back in uh uh, Thunderbolts now, but mm-hmm. uh, this was our real this the the sweet part of it is this was our only shot at a comic book accurate Modok because in the quantum realm it works outside of the quantum realm it doesn't work at all and if you linger with that character for too long it's just like insanely preposterous but here like Kirk I thought it worked I thought it was the one comedic bit that they had throughout the movie that actually paid off every time. Uh, my one genuine out loud laugh in this movie was in relation to Modoc and the hilarity that ensues around his death. Um, yes. So I, I, I like I was happy that we got to see a comic accurate Modoc in the MCU. Uh, I am sad that it's gone, but I also get it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. Modoc, you know, rest in peace. Maybe there's another dimension that is similar to the chaos of the quantum realm that we'll see that we could bring him back in. Yeah, I mean, could they do like a almost like a Iron Man suit type of Modok that's like a variant, yeah. you know, that's not that's not literally like a giant floating head thing with small arms and legs. Yeah, and I would say, you know, I didn't love how his face looked quite it wasn't quite right like well it's like whenever you disproportionately stretch an image in like photoshop or something you know (laughs) it's like the spacing is bizarre blurry almost yeah i would say if they spent some more time on how the face looks inside of everything get the right person i think he could fit in another realm i don't think like regular earth it has to be a weird earth for sure or a weird distant planet yes i think he can come back though I, i really do yeah, it could be. It could be. That would be fun. Um, let's talk about the ending of this movie a little bit, Kirk, and, and just because I know we, we sort of teased in our spoiler-free review that you and I both had thoughts on this ending, and we haven't really, like, exchanged notes on the ending per se, so this will just we'll kind of just do this live. But um, 
the ending of the movie, just as a quick recap, kind of sees Scott Lang uh, basically, you know, pushing his family through the quantum portal to go back to their reality. And essentially, he he gets beat down by by Kang, and then it's decided that, you know, he's going he's gonna to fight him and, and make sure that he doesn't get in the portal, and he's going to do that at whatever it takes. Um, long story short, the Wasp ends up coming back through the portal. They defeat Kang together. Um, he gets sucked into some sort of, like, probability time vortex thing that mm-hmm. occurs um, as his device gets destroyed, and then the two of them exit the quantum realm through that same portal, and... That's that. They end up back in time, and they end up back in their own time. But but you can sense, and it's there's voiceover of Scott Lang kind of kind of detailing how he's a little bit horrified at the decision that he made because Kang was saying like, if you don't help me, it's going to be terrible. I promise you don't want to see that. Like that future, my dynasty is coming. Whatever is going to happen, and so right. we've got that going on too. But what was your reaction to how they did that, and what would you have done differently, if anything? Yeah, so first of all, um, a couple things with that portal is that he shoves them all in. He's fighting Kang. The portal's still open, and then Kang gets Ant-Man down f- long enough to run through it. Yeah. And then it's it's almost like a Three Stooges moment. He hits the portal and then basically falls backwards. You don't see the wasp in that image in any way, shape, or form. Then all of a sudden they cut to like this hero shot and then she was standing there all along. But it's like, that's a terrible way to show that. Why didn't you show her like flying through and kicking him in the face and having a hero shot somewhere else? There's, there was another the edit better was option. questionable. Yeah, It yeah. was weird. It was weird. It was like he hit the face of it like it was a glass pane that he didn't see. It was so clean. And then he fell backwards is what it looked like even though Wasp was there to block him. Didn't like that. They fight him, they throw him into whatever red vortex thing he gets sucked into, and then the portal closes, interesting, and then after uh, we get a, a the first romantic exchange between Wasp and Ant-Man, finally, at the end of the Seriously. film, Cassie opens the portal back up, they walk through, and then we have this kind of this epilogue uh, with... Uh, with Scott worrying about life. So what I don't like about that is that it would have been a stronger ending get rid of the the glass faux pas, right? It would have been a stronger ending if we had actually trapped Ant-Man and the Wasp in the quantum realm and they were stuck there and that's where we leave this movie. Much stronger choice, much more difficult to write yourself into what happens next, how do they get out of there and what hero has to come in and save them. What does that look like? The options are endless, right? Um that's the one that's the the biggest change that I would have made versus rescuing them immediately or just don't have the portal close. Just literally don't have the portal close only to have it open five seconds later. That part was really dumb. Agree with that. Um, because if, to me, I agree with you. If the, if the portal closes, I want that. I want that to be out because you're killing the stakes of the whole situation. If the portal can be reopened, like once it closed, I was actually like, okay, now things are interesting, right? Like now there is, we're here, we're in the Danger. quantum realm and it's either you're dead or you're, sur- you're surviving and, and Kang's dead or whatever. Um, I, my other take Kirk is like, at what point do we kill Scott Lang or yep. get rid of them? This was probably the chance to do it. You know, this, if you were going to do it, um, there, there was a story arc there that could have 
included the death of Scott Lang if they had played their cards right at the beginning of this movie. If they had done it with the way the rest of this movie went, um, it would it would have felt weird. But there was an opportunity, I think, with this story to do that. And then what I like about that, Kirk, just as a like kind of a tying back to the comics, is is you could have Janet Van Dyne, or sorry, Hope Van Dyne. Uh, I keep getting confused with the comics. You could have Hope become the new sort of leader of the Avengers with this motley crew of of kind of like the green rookie-ish type of heroes, your Shang-Chi's, you know, the young Avengers that are kind of coming up. She could take on that role because Janet Van Dyne is an absolute powerhouse in the comics. And so Hope Van Dyne being the being the leader of the Avengers after the death of Scott Lang, that could have been really cool in my opinion. And I would have really liked that. And finally, Evangeline Lilly, would get a chance to like do something for once. Um, Maybe we wouldn't be open to that as, as fans because we don't, I don't really feel like we know this character all that well, but I kind of would have liked that personally. Um, That would have been nice. That would have been nice. Even if you, even if uh, the portal closes, Hope comes through the portal. Portal yep. closes. Yep. And Kang grabs Hope and sucks Ooh. her in with him. And Ant-Man is trapped in the quantum yes, realm. Yes, just by himself. Chaos, yes. Right? Yeah. There were options. There were oh. options. Gosh. And so Again. I guess they felt like they had to have all of them back to kind of guide the Avengers through the Kang conflict. But I felt like... Cassie could have done the job. Hank or Janet could have done the job. You don't need Hope and, and Scott there to get the message across in a sort of like Hulk in Infinity War flying through the Sanctum Sanctorum saying like Thanos is coming. Any one of them could have done that. And in a way, it also kind of makes sense for Cassie to be the one to do that, to assemble the Young Avengers and sort of get that ball rolling because that feels inevitable. So it just felt like there were options there. Um, but... We'll see how it all plays out. Speaking of how it all plays out, let's talk about the mid and post credit scene. So we'll go through, I don't know, Kirk, I feel like we kind of got to go through both of them together because they sure. are so linked in the, in the way that they interact with each other. But the first post credit scene we see, uh, or the mid credit scene is I think the real barn burner out of the two, which is you've got, all these different variants of Kang in a Coliseum of sorts, clearly in some sort of area that exists outside of time, because you can actually see the like um, strands of time, the sacred timeline type of thing. Uh, a la like Loki, he who remains um, mm-hmm. going on in the background, but we see three variants of Kang are having a conversation. And one of them is, uh, is clearly Rama Tut from the comics. Uh, he's got the Pharaoh thing on. He's got the gold cheek scars. He's got the whole Pharaoh look. The other one is like this super futuristic looking Kang who is kind of unlike anything that's seen in the comics. And then emerging from the shadows is one that looks exactly like Immortus from the comics. And so you've got, they're talking about the exiled one. Um, he, he's defeated, you know, he's, he's been killed. Are you sure he's gone? Yada, yada, yada. They're kind of quipping at each other. Like, Oh, I bet it eats you up that you weren't the one to get rid of him. They're talking about the Kang that we just saw in, in this movie. Um, and Immortus is like, you know, it's, it's not about him. It's about how the Avengers 
he doesn't say the Avengers, but he's like, they're getting close to them. They're touching the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And the other Kangs are like, oh, so who did, who all did you call? How many of us did you call? And he says, all of us. And it shows uh, an arena just full of Kangs. Kangs are warping in from all over the place. They're hooping and hollering, going crazy. Every single one of them is Jonathan May- Majors. Um, and so there's just a ton going on there. But a couple of things on that, and I can get us kicked off here. So Kang, and you should go, you should definitely go back and listen to all the conversations we had on Loki. You can find all of that on our YouTube channel or back through the podcast because we talked a ton of Kang and Loki, mm-hmm. Kirk. We talked a ton of it. Um, and, and Kang is the hardest villain, character, anything to talk about because he is constantly time hopping around. And with each time hop he does... He leaves a variant of himself in his wake. So the original Kang is, at least in the comics, is Nathaniel Richards, who is from the 30th century. Um, He's from Earth 6311, when the main timeline Earth is Earth 616 in the comics. And he is believed to be a descendant of Reed Richards, though it's unclear if it's Reed Richards or Dr. Doom, or maybe he's a descendant of Reed Richards who's also a descendant of himself, so he's like his own grandpa. There's all kinds of weird stuff going on there. But he, because of that, there are infinite numbers of him. And each one of these different Kangs, who are whatever you want to call them, variants, incursions, whatever, um, they all have different motives, but are generally conquestors conquistadors you know they're they are conquerors they want to win um and the few interesting versions of this are immortus rama tut um scarlet centurion prime kang there's a bunch of different ones but the one that we saw that i think is most interesting is going to be immortus because immortus is kind of the good king in a way um and he's the one who appears at the end because he is the one who recognizes he, he's, he's like an older, more grizzled Kang who, who takes on the moniker of Immortus and realizes that all the Kangs are going to try to do bad, evil things. And he starts to try to rein them in. And so that's how the Council of Kangs gets born. Um, so Immortus is kind of at odds with the main Kang, the Conqueror, and he's trying to rein him in. So here's my theory, Kirk. The king that we saw in Quantumania is not dead. I don't think he's dead. Do you think he's dead? No way. That character is too well constructed yes. to just kill him off. Right. He's too they 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 spent we spend too much time with him. He's too I mean they they go out of their way to show just how beast he is and how mm. just like unrelentingly power hungry he is so i feel like he's definitely alive and so i feel like he becomes the actual king the conqueror the exiled one and the other these other kings rama tut and immortus and whoever that other weird future king is and all these other kings are um he the one that we saw in this movie would like to eliminate all of them and immortus and the council of kings would like to eliminate him and that's why he's calling that's why immortus is calling this council of kings because he's like all right the avengers are touching the multiverse the timeline's getting wacky this other king is dead it's time for us to have our king dynasty get everything under control whatever 
So that I feel like is the conflict that is kind of like burgeoning here. Mm. Um, and there are a lot of things, if you start to dig into the Easter eggs, there are a lot of things that kind of allude to that. So like, for example, in Loki, there were three timekeepers, all of which were voiced by Jonathan Majors before we meet He Who Remains. We saw three kings at the end. And in the He Who Remains is uh, like little area where they meet him at the end of time, Sylvie and Loki, there is a broken statue where there should have been another timekeeper. That could be the exiled Kang that ends up becoming the big bad villain. Right. There's a lot. There's a lot with Kang. We're going to see Jonathan Majors take on 30,000 different characters Seriously? before the end of phase five. <laughs> well, I mean, even in this one, there are all, you can look around and I've watched, you know, all the different slow-mos of like the different Kangs and you can say, okay, so that's potentially this version. That's potentially mm-hmm. this version. There's already been Easter eggs of different variants of Kang that happened in Loki. Um, there's a version of Kang in the comics who buys Stark Tower and everybody's been wondering who bought Avengers Tower. Um, oh my goodness. And in Loki, there's an Easter egg that alludes to that. Um, there is, of course, like Scarlet Centurion. There's Iron Lad who ends up, who is a version of Nathaniel Richards who knows that he's destined to become Kang and tries to not. And so he joined, he travels in time and joins the young Avengers as like oh. a, as a superhero. Okay. Um, so there's just a lot going on here. And, and I think what's difficult, what I, what I feel like we have to kind of keep in mind is there are two categories of Kangs as far as like, this is how I think about it in my head. Okay. There is the category of Kangs that are direct variants of the main Kang. So mm-hmm. they, are, they, are, they are variants of him that were created by him via time traveling, okay? And then there are variants of Kang that are just totally different versions of Kang that were, you know, split off from the main timeline somewhere else that caused them to be vastly different from the Kang that we know. So think Sylvie in Loki, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, Loki and Sylvie don't look the same. They're different genders. And Sylvie is a Loki... But is also not because she something happened prior to her birth that set her on this trajectory of being a female, being named Sylvie, yada yada yada. So that's the other category of kings. It's like we saw one that was like looked like some sort of lizard thing, one that looked like a weird zombie thing. Like those could be created without the main kings or Kang Prime or whatever you want to call it, his actual intervention. They're just created through the randomness of time that happens. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's what we have to kind of keep in mind as we go through this, but we could see they could have a different Kang as a villain in every single Marvel movie from here until secret wars phase 40. They could have a new Kang appearing. Finally, they could, they totally could. Um, So that brings us to the second credit scene which has a direct Loki tie-in and appears to probably be a scene from Loki season two where it's like turn of the century. You've got like a very like almost Wizard of oz kind of situation going. It reminds me of that movie, The Prestige, actually, uh, that Chris oh, Nolan movie. 
I thought the same thing. It was like a Frederick Douglass uh, Loki. Like, yeah, it, it yeah, so, yeah. So incredible. Like the hair, it had to be modeled after yeah. him. It was so perfect. But then I also felt like it was a magician up there, uh, like prestige happening. I had the same thought, yes. Yeah, and so you see a sign that says Victor Timely, and he's talking about uh, a machine that can alter time or whatever. There's this machine up there. It's like one of these very classic turn of the century type of hear ye, hear ye, come and see, you know, Hey, uh, you want some papers? Hey. <laughs> exactly. Um, and Loki and Mobius are in the crowd and Mobius is like, this is the guy you're worried about. You made it sound like he was going to be so much more menacing. And Loki is like serious as the grave is like, he is trust me like he is the real deal um so a couple of things that are interesting about that so victor timely does exist in the comics is a kang variant that ends up in the early 1900s after being defeated by the avengers and that version of kang isn't one of the main kangs like that we saw in the um in the arena. So he's not a mortis. He's not Scarlet Centurion. He's not, you know, whatever, all the uh, Rama Tut, etc. This version goes on to be kind of like a, a technological wizard of sorts. Like he, he has a bunch of business success, commercial success in the U S and ends up developing all of these different, um, this, this huge like tech empire with robotics and things like that. But he also creates, uh, the city of Chronopolis, which um, comic book readers would recognize as like Kang's kind of hangout that exists outside of time. Um, and so the reason they're perhaps introducing that version of Kang is because he could be the creator of the TVA with Chronopolis being like the time city that we saw where the TVA lives. And that Victor Timely moment could be the start of it which is why Loki and Mobius are there trying to head it off before it gets all started. So that version of Kang could be he who remains, who we saw at the end of Loki and who Sylvie kills at the end of time, which splits the multiverse. Insane. Absolutely insane. <sighs> I mean, solid, absolutely solid mid-credit and final post-credit Yes, uh, nothing scenes. gimmicky. We haven't gotten that in so long. Something no. that propelled the full interconnected story. We really haven't. I understand that we were, we need to build all these new characters. We need to, you know, start a, a new volume of Avengers and Marvel characters. But at the very same time, you could leave breadcrumbs that make sense. Yes. Not like end of Doctor Strange 2, which doesn't make any sense with Charlize Theron. I'm talking this stuff is clear. You don't have all the answers, but you have a direction. And that was what was so nice about both of these scenes. Yeah, and I feel like um, Kang is a really ambitious villain to choose for all the reasons that we just talked about. I mean, how convoluted did that sound as I was talking? All these different time displaced Kangs and yada yada. It's crazy. Oh, right? I just heard the Charlie Brown teacher voice for yeah, most of it. No, wah, seriously. Wah, wah. That's why I hate to talk about it because it gets so crazy. You almost have to read it to understand. And then even then you're like, what? But what I feel like you can arrive at with with some level of research, if you're interested, whatever, is we've got a few things set up. We've got the Victor Timely thing at the end, which which feels like it's going to be sort of 
the entire plot of Loki season two without actually knowing that, which releases this year, um, which is them, I guess, just trying to stop the whole TVA thing before it starts. That could be Mobius's um, and Loki's goal with all of that, which makes sense. Then you've got the Council of Kings versus the Exiled Kang. So I feel like that's the other set piece that is here, which is you've got Immortus and his whole plan to gather all these Kangs and I guess stop the Avengers from meddling further with time. And then you've also got this exiled Kang who may or may not still be alive. I'm willing to bet he's alive and that he is our Thanos. That version is, is it. Is there a scenario in which exiled Kang leads the Avengers to a place where they can only fight where the council of Kings is after exiled King. And he says, the only way that you save the universe is to help me kill all of them or most of them. Any, any chance of that where he, he is running, but he tricks them and he's into their backs are against the wall. They hate both of them. So why not kill both of them? And yeah. they have to summon each other. Is that secret wars? Is that essentially what that will be like? Maybe? Well, Secret Wars, yeah. So Secret Wars, um, yes. I mean, the Avengers do end up working with Immortus to kind of try to okay. take out evil kings. Because what what is revealed in the comics is that Immortus has this master plan, and the Avengers are a part of it. And it involves eliminating all of the situations in which Kang does not become Immortus. So it is kind of like... Immortus is pulling the strings all along, allowing certain things to happen, not allowing other things to happen, basically to thwart Kang from ever reaching who he wants to be, Kang the Conqueror, and Mm -hmm. leading all of the variants of Kang to a path where they become Immortus and become, you know, kind of a guardian of of time, you know, a guardian of the timelines. And so the Avengers do end up working with Immortus. The Avengers end up being tricked by Kang on multiple different occasions. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, there will be times where I-, I would imagine they'll be working with a version of Jonathan majors to try to stop what's happening with Kang. Beautiful. I love it. I love the possibilities of this. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's it, it's, it could get, it can seriously get as crazy as they want to get with it. Um, I think I would encourage them to be careful. Um, just because it is so convoluted. And yes. that's the thing is like, we talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but we last week we can kind of transition into this discussion. You and I were both like very excited about where things are headed now, because like, like we just talked about, we now have a vision. We know where certain things are headed. We know that Kang is definitively the center and all of the different things that are at play around him. So that feels good. But there's this other, you know, factor of will the mainstream fandom stay in the car for this ride? Will they ride it out? Are they willing to, I don't know, do the necessary mental work to get the full experience out of this? Do they have to do homework in order to get the full experience out of this? Like, does this still interest them? Hmm. I would say if there's a lot of extra homework, then no. 
Yeah. So far, the only extra homework is watch Loki. Correct. To, to follow, right? Because you don't have to see Falcon and the Winter Soldier to follow this story. You don't have to, honestly, you don't have to see WandaVision. You don't have to see any of the other ones right. to follow this. And up until this point, you honestly wouldn't even have to see Loki unless you want to understand the post-credit scene. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Going forward, you absolutely need to watch it. So yeah, I don't think there's a lot of homework required at this point. And to keep it that way will be the smartest. Otherwise, it'll be exhausting and it will be, you'll feel like you can't catch up and that's just um, depressing. And so you're like, well, I'm not going to do that. Uh, The information should be presented for me when I pay the ticket for the film, right? So that's where I feel like it will be at going forward. I mean, it is exhausting. I think a lot of people feel it. We've heard the terms Marvel fatigue, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, to your point, which I think is a good one, because I, I, I hear a lot of people get stressed out about the homework. But to your point, if you're just trying to watch the story, just you're fine. Just watch it. Just watch all of the pieces that go into it. And that's the only homework you have to do is be current on everything that's happening there. The the homework comes in when you're trying to predict what's ahead. Yes. You know, anytime, which is what you and I spent a lot of time doing during Loki and WandaVision and what we're doing now. It That's where the homework comes in. That's where it's like me going on the Marvel Unlimited app and like rereading old comics or reading comics from the 80s that I've never read or comics from the 60s that like had one thing that might be relevant. Like Cameron's been awake for 1,200 hours, <laughs> gets, ladies and gentlemen. It gets absurd. It really does. But, you know, Kevin Feige would probably say, hey, don't do that. We, we'll tell the story. You just sit back and relax and enjoy it. Um, but I do think regardless of that, they have to be careful with Kang because I think that time travel can get very, very, very hairy and that can spook people who are not totally into the sci-fi thing. It just right. it just gets messy. It just does. And they look like they're going for a full-fledged mess with all these different versions of Kangs, etc. Right, right. Has to be deliberate. Not too many things at once. Not too many time j- jumps. Not too many simultaneous time jumps. And then you can still keep people along for the ride. Think like Back to the Future 2, right? Yeah. There's not too many back and forths. There's just enough where you can still follow the story of what dimension are we in? What future are we in? What timeline are we in? And that's the way we have to keep it. Because now Loki, our Loki, the the 2008 <laughs> Loki. <laughs> See, there it is, is, Kirk. There it is right there. In, <laughs> right. Heading into season two. Not the Loki that was killed by Thanos that we saw. Right. Avengers Loki. That. Exactly. We have to keep that in our minds and yes. in our hearts locked away until Loki season two comes out. But what is really nice about all of this and, and why I felt like regardless of the, of my opinions on the movie, which, which kind of felt irrelevant after all of this was what, what's nice about this is that what now you can see the, the direction that they were trying to go all along. Um, it just makes you feel good because you can see where things connect and, and Kang is, is a villain of such a scale that you could, you, he can connect to anything, you know, the, you know, all the way down to like some of the things that feel like ancient history now, like the black Knight uh, thing in eternals, um, Wanda and visions relationship, um, all of it, all of it can tie in even all the way down to Namor and, uh, 
everything, everything can t- tie back to to Kang one way or the other, and that makes you feel warm and fuzzy because it's like, okay, maybe there was a plan all along. I do think though, Kirk, they should have revealed more sooner. I think there was just like, I, I've got this feeling now, um, there was just this chasm between Loki season one and this, yes. where so much happened that didn't at all feel relevant to this that was just really frustrating. Like, you just look back through all the movies, like, Multiverse of Madness, we were expecting major Kang tie-ins. Nothing, right? Nothing at all. Uh, Thor, Love, and Thunder. I mean, that's, that, that couldn't feel farther away from this if if it tried. I mean, it just feels like light years away from this. And then you've got Shang-Chi and, and all this other stuff, and it's like, there should have been more closer together to help people feel okay when some of that other stuff was going on, I think. Right. Because what, what tie-ins at all do those bring us? Not really anything to this storyline. Really not not anything. Not yet. I mean, maybe they haven't been revealed, but they should have been if you want to keep people interested. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can do like a retcon thing like, Oh, you know, this person, I was there. You know, there's always this, this speculation that Bruce Campbell's cameo in multiverse of madness is, is a little bit more than just the, uh, the guy selling food on the street, right? There's all these things that maybe that was a King or maybe that was King in disguise or, or there's all these little things that people are just trying to hope for. And we won't know until it happens maybe even three years from now yes. i don't know there's a long there's even another long wait that it'll be like how am i supposed to put that together uh with this kind of expansive world now it's it's three times its size than it was just two years ago yep. so help me out here feige give me some more connections not super deliberate but closer together and more frequent for the tie-ins versus throwing all these characters that are just kind of doing whatever not working toward the main goal. The goal is to have them work together towards the same goal. Because here we are, Ant-Man and his whole crew, they walk out of the quantum realm mm-hmm. and seemingly tell no one about Kang. No one. Right, they're just living their lives, right? Yeah, there's a birthday party. There's this fear, but that's it. And yet we have Loki, who is immediately has it has to redefine his relationship uh, with Owen Wilson and he has to be, convince him to trust him. He has to convince him that, Hey, there's this crazy powerful dude that's controlling everything and we have to stop him. So there's motion there. There's nothing happening that we've seen from Ant-Man. And what does that look like? Does it happen yeah. immediately following that birthday party? What does it look like? We haven't seen a glimpse of it at all. A really cool way to end the movie would have been like a scene akin to the Avengers initiative where it's like Paul Rudd hologramming in Captain Marvel, Bruce Banner. um, Gosh, who else? Like all of these other Avengers and being, or Dr. Strange for sure. And a few of these other guys who are still out there and being like, listen, what I just saw in the quantum realm is terrifying. And he said that, that it's about to go down and we need to be ready. You know, like that would have been cool. That would have gotten people kind of like amped up and made it feel like the ending had more significance than I think the ending that they actually went with. Right. Um, so yeah, missed opportunities there for sure. One last thing I want to leave Kirk is uh, the very first time we see a Kang version in the comics. 
is uh, Fantastic Four 19 when they travel back in time to ancient Egypt and come face to face with Brahma Tut, who at the time was not Kang, but they retconned it to make him Kang. Um, could the Fantastic Four movie be a, be a self-contained thing where, you know, because in the comic they're going back in time to get this like ancient medicinal something to, to, to cure somebody's blindness, but um, could it be that, some version of that story? They go back in time, they... They meet up with Ramatut. They come for. They come back in time, and all of a sudden, Scott Lang is like, "Listen, there's this guy Kang, whatever." And and Fantastic Four are like, "Yo, we came in contact with one of these guys too." And it's just like that's how they fast forward into the Avengers. Could that be what they do? Or are they going to do something totally different? Yeah. The, yeah. Do they? How do they meet Scott? You know. And it feels the- like as I say that out loud, it probably feels a little bit like risky to have your first fantastic four movie be like a time travel to ancient Egypt (laughs) movie. (laughs) Like how does the mainstream crowd get behind that? I don't know. Uh, but it could be cool. Hmm. Is it necessarily ancient Egypt or a different dimension that feels like it's ancient, but it's, you know, like a star Wars feel. It could be, yeah, they could just end up in a different timeline or, uh, yeah, different adjacent, Hmm. something hmm. and could moon Knight be there in some way shape well or that's form? the other thing kirk when you're talking about when we were talking about how things tie in there are easter eggs in moon Knight about rama tut and kang and things yes. like that but it's like pull those forward keep them from being easter eggs like Kanshu has a direct issue with with he, he is directly involved in getting kang out of ancient egypt at one in one of the timelines and it's like dude have Kanchu talk about Kang have him talk about Rama Tut like something to tie it in and give people nuggets to feel like okay Moon Knight is a part of this because that's another one of these that's just like Moon Knight feels so out on its own island right now mm-hmm. and they could have tied that in I, I just don't understand why they didn't missed connections seriously this is what we're at here seriously so where I am landing and where it's, I think you are landing based on what we talked about is excited about the future, but still like they've got work to do, you know, they've got work to do, but at least I'm back to like being excited about where things are going. Whereas even though I thought Thor love and thunder was okay. And I thought multiverse of madness was okay. Um, I thought both could have been better. It just, they still didn't feel they didn't give you the same kind of payoff that a lot of these more recent Marvel films did in phase three and beyond. And, and I'm, I think all Marvel fans are eager to get back to where every film feels like it matters to the main storyline. Right, right, right. And, you know, a lot of people are considering, you know, just off the cuff, they're saying that this is now the least favorite Marvel movie. And I'm like, that is. Oh, I don't think your so. Your opinion. Yeah, <laughs> but I would I would think that they're most of them are leaning toward more of a self-contained film. Yeah, even though this is also the other edge of the sword is that this is what we were hoping for. We were looking for the direction and this is yes, all direction on where we're going. So I feel like a second watch for those people might adjust, even if it's still not your favorite one. It's not my favorite one, but 
the way that it's shaping the worlds and the phase is very strong for me. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's exactly where I'm at. It's like not my favorite Marvel movie. I think it has issues just as a movie in general in terms of storytelling, but the way that it connects into the rest of what's going to happen is exciting and it acts as a launching pad for that. So I'm here for that. But fan, I feel like fan reaction has been good. Like I like, Oh, okay. After Thor Love and Thunder, I was like, nobody's ever going to see a Marvel movie again. Like, the fans hated that movie hard. It felt like, to me, uh, just whatever was in my Twitter timeline was not positive about that movie. This movie, it's the opposite. Like, I see fans just being like, this is dope, not perfect, but loved it, had a lot of fun, whatever. That's that's pretty much all I see in my timeline. We have to merge our timelines because mine is the exact opposite. People are loving Thor. (laughs) And now they're Weird. hating this. I don't know who was on my timeline. I got to talk to them all. <laughs> we got to figure it out. But that'll be the wrap of this somewhat structured conversation about the end of Quantumania yeah. and what lies ahead for the MCU. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you have theories, we did not get all the way into Kang because there, it's just it, there's too, too much. But if you want to chat it, hit us on Discord. We have a channel on there called Nerd Zone where we can get into the weeds on all of this and... As you could probably tell, I am I am raring to go in terms of Kang talk. Um, Cam's it, nostrils are so clean <laughs> at this point. He has, like we talked about, just dug so oh, deep no. and carved those holes, as they mentioned in Quantum. <laughs> <laughs> he just absolutely freed up the the nostril holes, yes. and so he is breathing a little bit breathing easier now. Breathing free and clear. Like, That's true. Um, so you can. <laughs> You can hit us there for more uh, nerd talk if you want to get get deeper, for sure. But let us know what you thought about this format, too, of doing the the spoiler-free review, traditional review, and then deep diving into the nitty-gritty later. Hopefully, that gives people different versions of what they want. And we can do it for other MCU releases, some DCU releases. I don't know. Let's get crazy. Let's get weird. Um, but if you like that format, let us know. If you hate it, also let us know because we don't want to keep doing it if you don't. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening to this as well as our uh, Quantum Mania review from last week. We're going to send you off as we always do with the lovely sounds of Rhetoric, who created our original music. Catch those guys anywhere you listen or stream your music. And a special shout out to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs. We will see you later this week for our review of the Banshees of Inna Sharon. Talk to you then. <laughs>